Alright, let me kick it off and if people roll in late, we'll deal with the audio. If not, this will be the smallest gig I've ever heat of its own. He's pumped. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, welcome to the SCP weekly meeting. We meet here every Wednesday at 7.30 to 8.30, um, where we discuss a topic that we vote on through the WhatsApp group. Um, for those of you in the WhatsApp group, if you raise your hand, uh, see one of these people that have an invite link to the group. Is there anyone here that's here for the first time? Yeah. yeah. Welcome. Do you want to introduce yourself? What's your name? Audrey. Audrey, Teal. Nice to meet you. What do you guys do? I do video work. Yeah. So you're from New York or from the state? I'm from the state. I'm from the state. I'm from the state. Just a few things. Uh, there aren't that many people here today, but normally when there are, everyone lawyers outside, so I just ask to keep it on the corner because of the people upstairs. Um, we have a crit club that meets every Monday at 8 p.m. on Zoom, so if you want to look for that, that's on the website. We just basically like screen share and show work and have a more like formal crit. Um, I don't know if we'll here another bit. Um, other than that, other announcements. Oh, not really. Um, yeah, no, again, not too many people, so I don't think that everyone's going to be fighting over time to speak, but like, be respectful of the group and, um, you know, find yourself talking too much, which doesn't look like it's the case today, maybe pass it on to your friend. Um, but yeah, today's topic is creativity amidst the spectacle, conforming or challenging cultural norms. Um, I wrote this one down just because I want to try to get to a place at these meetings where we can maybe form a consensus. Um, we were sort of doing that earlier on, and I know sometimes the topics they are a little open-ended, so this time, on top of the topic, I thought maybe I'd pose a question related to it to get us started. Um, and, you know, this topic in general, I was going to assign a reading, I'm not sure if this is society spectacle, but I looked at the page count and I'm like, just like, who wants to do homework? So I tried to just break this down in a way that like is digestible. Um, but yeah, in the society spectacle, when it, it talks about these like cultural norms and how images are sort of created to you know generate sales or advertising and um, art falls you know really neatly into that category. And so those are some of the things that we consider like cultural norms. And so. Um, just to break this down um, even more, I would pose the question, uh, you know, in your creative work, do you find yourself more inclined to conform to cultural norms or to challenge them? Um, and maybe what are some of the factors that influence you on that decision? Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and let you guys open this one up, just because. Challenging them as in like accepting your like, contribution for your yeah, I mean, I, I guess like an example would be like in an art context, or like maybe let's not use another context, maybe let's use a different one. Let's look at film, right? Mm -hmm. um, how many of you have seen or heard of this thing called the back rooms? Yeah, you guys know YouTube? So, I mean, I was really impressed when I heard of it. You know, I watched it. It seems to have been made relatively low budget um, using um, some 3D rendering programs and, you know, some light handy cam. Um, they were able to really create um, sort of like how 
who here knows a lot about it? Or more than I might know. You? A little bit. Yeah, tell us about the backrooms. Uh, I don't know. It's like just like a weird thing. It's like kind of when you're in the back of a mall and it's just like very empty and ambient. It just gives you like the like the weirdest vibe because it's so empty and there's like nothing behind it. Is there a name for that like style? I think the backrooms is like the name for it. It's just like the feeling you get in like empty kind of commercial spaces, like an empty mall or like a business that went out like, like out a of business. liminal space. Yeah, minimal space. Liminal. Liminal space. Yeah. Um, yeah, so anyways, they these kids I'm guessing were able to like create a really successful horror series on YouTube. Millions of views, a lot of fanfare, like everything. Um, and they have recently been approached by A24, who I'm guessing a lot of you know too, to get into a full length film. Um, and, and that to me is how I would define like challenging the cultural norms, right? Like they didn't um, go about it in a traditional way of fundraising or pitching it to a production company or, you know, even having actors really, you know, they really just created their own sort of phenomenon and then were able to enter in in some way or another. Um, which maybe that says something about the spectacle too, like there's no escaping it, right? Like even if you throw together a movie on YouTube, it somehow finds its way back into the mainstream. Um, but yeah, that would be how I would, do, I would define as like going against the original norms of, again, like having a, a show in the Tompkins Square Park bathroom, you know, so like something so like newborn that it's just like bring it out to viewers, accept it or see it for yeah, well, I guess there's like a certain level of like challenging, right? And I guess like that's what this question is really posing is like, do you feel an inclination to challenge or to, to go with? I think of art as a tool for challenging social, social issues and not raising the voice to certain things. So I guess challenging is about so you feel inclined more to, to challenge this one? Any examples? I would challenge you there to say that part of me feels like that might be the cultural norm today, right? To make a comment on, um, which I don't necessarily disagree with that messaging, but I just think that like sometimes Again, it's this like frustration. I hope so. Yeah, it's a good thing. Um, my question is: Are we talking about the content of our art or how art is presented? And I guess sometimes those can go hand in hand. But for instance, like talking about backrooms, like I guess that's kind of both. Like their content is different, um, and the way they put it out in the world. I mean, I guess like putting it on YouTube isn't that different. But the way they got to like work with A twenty four that would challenge a cultural norm, right? Right. I think there's a time and a place for like both of those things. I think there's times to like challenge um, the bigger picture and like say something new and fresh. And then I think that there's times where there's important stories, maybe to you just from like a filmmaker's perspective, there's important stories to me that I think the relevance culturally still hits. Like I think that there are stories about love, loss, things like that, that if I feel the need to tell it, if it appeals to a mass sense of people, I think it's still important to um, get it in front of as many people as possible. I'm not gonna try and like 
um, rewrite how movies get made just because I want to do it differently um, in the context of that, I feel like. Right, because there's also like, like you shouldn't do something different always just for the sake of being different if it's right. not authentic to like how you're going to tell a story. Like, I might think there's not enough stories about, I don't know, kids in Somalia. I shouldn't write that story, right? <laughs> like, because I don't know anything about it. Yeah, I get that. Geography is so important. Like, geography is so important. I'm going to slam because I'm like, my heart is beating so Oh my God, I love you so much. <laughs> I just like, I love everything. Geography is I'm really bad at geography. Like, I was educated in the New York City public school system. <laughs> you know, geography is not taught in New York City because, but everyone comes here. So that's how we learn geography. That's currency. That's currency all day long. Because if you're open-hearted and open-minded, you're paying attention to who moves into your neighborhood and who you buy your groceries from. And you know, I'm really bad at geography, but my heart's beating so loud right now. So, and it was probably because I spoke to Mercedes in the park earlier today. So, but how do you, how do you tie that, like, the geography thing to, you know, back to the cultural norm? Do you think that it... Well, if you're born here, you know what the cultural norm is. You have a perspective that's actually valid. And if, like, I lived in Maryland for three years. I lived in Greece. I lived in Vermont for short periods, but long enough to, like, stay in one place for a month. You know, like if you should travel, like stay there for 30 days. <laughs> like don't, don't like, you do whatever the fuck you want. But like, you know, stay there to learn about it. And you know, you know, the garlic guy sells. Anyway, geography and helps. And, and it's so great. Like I was. Helps, that's what I was saying, helps for what? Helps yeah, for so like if you're visiting and you're in New York and you're like, bring it on. You know, you should be able at some point to go back to where you're actually from and share that well, you know? Like, I really think that's like super important because, listen, I went to Arizona and like, I worked in the most amazing Salvation Army. Like everything was color coordinated. I was like obsessed. It was a huge warehouse and best like t-shirt collection. <laughs> I just think that what you're saying now is that, I think it, it is agreeing with, and that's good because this is supposed to, it's like sort of picking which side is right or which side would we sit on, which is that like cultural norms are things to, that should be communicated and pushed out to areas that may not be susceptible or in the region of them. But I think the question also is saying is that like, is there a reality where, where that, that might be a disservice and that maybe that those things are already being pushed out through media um, and through social channels that like maybe there are other things that are not being spoken about that potentially could be more effective messaging or even more rewarding messaging than the things that are in the echo chamber. We love collectives. Like we enjoy seeing the Bauhaus, the this, the that. Like that's actually like art history education time periods because it's really better to teach because you're doing other things. Hopefully you're making art with having all this like talk in your subconscious. Hopefully, you know. Yeah. Well, um, maybe it's like the avant-garde, right? Yeah, there's so many labels. Uh, brutalist and you know there's so many labels. So right now, like if you're do anyways, I I totally lost because that's a heavy 
heavy thing for me right now. So excuse me, excuse me. But I think where you're from, like, like that's the, the butterfly effect, right? Like you contribute yeah. your your heritage. Like I'm gonna have an open house and you're gonna bring a plate of food. And and it's like your grandma's favorite, you know, like. I just have this this thought, and I, again, also you were you were saying um, about is it cultural norms in how we present art and and what we create. I think we should definitely get back to that too. Um, I feel like geography is a big part of it, um, and maybe the thing that is frustrating to me is that. You know, if you look at America, for example, um, you know, like Beantown, you know, and like the, all these cities used to have really amazing things. You know, they still have that sort of cultural history, um, but because of sort of how commercialized the arts have become, maybe that's industry and, and schools that you sort of have these magnets pulling a lot of the young creatives out of those, those cities and states. and into Chicago and New York and Los Angeles. And I feel like a lot of the narrative and a lot of the culture has left a lot of those places. And so, um, like for example, when I was a younger artist, a lot of my contemporaries were showing in like Brussels and, and Zurich and Germany. And I was like, what that? You know, They're like, the smartest collectors though, like yeah, German. Yeah, yeah. All right, you but, know what? Like but Max if you're Beckman. making art for the collector, you know, I was making art for, not even for the not. viewer. You know, I, I could give a shit about the rich guy in Brussels who's making I know, I know, I know. Who doesn't know. know the cultural relevancy of the work that I'm making or the touchstones, right? I was thinking more like, oh, Kansas City, Missouri, like that's my Europe. You know, mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the area of the United States that I want to activate for people like me, right. you know, like, yeah, I could go to Europe and do this song and dance, but what about the sort of, you know, people who aren't in that conversation? So that's what I'm getting at with the geography thing is that, well, I think that we as New Yorkers and whatever, New York, you know, New Yorkers, you don't know that means anything, um, have this like responsibility to maybe show the world things that it's not already being fed through a lot of these major things like news and Instagram and movies. I had no idea what you were I think grand art requires suffering. Now that's very abstract, but like, um, usually when you consider the quality of art, it's about um, how much of a cultural difference it makes, for example. So a prime example is maybe if the viewer suffers, in a sort of comprehensible way, not in an emotionally um, negative way, I think the viewer can get more of that than just by having happy emotions affiliated to quote-unquote nonsense. Yeah, I like that. I like the suffering bit. Okay, I think that's a cultural norm. Mm -hmm. The idea that great art has to come from suffering. So what if art healed? Or what if it was just like, like I, I don't feel like it's normal to feel joy when I'm looking at art that I also label as good. But art that I label as bad makes me happy. But I don't know if I label it as bad. For instance, I love Addison Rae's music. I don't think it's necessarily good. But maybe it is because it makes me feel good. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm really sick of like thinking that I have to hate 
something, or that something has to make me angry for it to be good. So that one point, that's just a state of consciousness, not many. So have you ever been in like a pure bliss euphoria, some call it mania? Everything is beautiful and nasty. Everything is lovely. The worst song in the world that you thought was crap, everyone's how it's crap, but when I'm in bliss, the most beautiful thing in the world. You're missing out, bro. Everyone should go to Greece. Yeah, I think, but I think a lot of that, I think a lot of that is like the context that's provided with it though. Like I think when you talk about like a, taking in a foreign film as someone who lives in America and has maybe never been to France, right? When I watch that film, there are things that still ring true to me, even though I'm not speaking the language. And I think that my perspective of like being somebody from the Midwest and moving to New York, I think that there are stories that will inherently be different coming out of my mouth based on my upbringing, the things that I've gone through. And I think that the idea of like this commercialized point of view or like what like works or like what's not in development in the studio or blah, 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 I think is like less about, like less of the point. I think it's like getting work made no matter what. Like there's this um, this great story about Tarantino. I don't know if you like him or if you hate him, it doesn't matter, the story still rings the same. But it was when he was making his first film and he had $30,000 saved up and he's like, I'm making this film for $30,000 period. Like no matter what. And he had a producer that loved the script and he's like, no, 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 let me go get you more money. Like I promise the movie will be better if I go get you more money. He said, you have two months. If you give me more money by then, we'll make it for more money. But if not, I'm making it for $30,000. And I think that that is kind of the thing. It's like, make it at whatever cost. If it's commercial or not, still make it no matter what. So I think the context that comes out of that is less important. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Because you're driving in the acting. Yeah, which makes the more human act. I, I, was, I hear you on the suffering thing. Like, suffering, it's also like, it's hard because this topic is so subjective, right? I feel like a lot of times we'll discuss things that like, it comes down to the first meetings we have where it's like, well, it depends on what your intentions are. Depends what kind of artist you want to be, you know? So, I would label suffering maybe not as like the, it's quite literal, right? Like maybe falling in love with an artwork or a painting is a form of pain and suffering in itself. But I don't know, for some reason this topic, I really start to think about memes. Because <laughs> like, really, they give you relationship advice. <laughs> but I, yeah, but I would classify like a painting as a meme, you know, like an image with title and context. And so like- So do that. Yeah, but I guess, what I want to break down, and we do make memes, uh, um, uh, <laughs> is like, as an artist, right, maybe it would be a disservice if there was an artist who was like really good at painting, but like memes were like more effective, like the stereotypical, literal meme is more effective than like their painting, so like, should they move into that? Right? What do you mean and by effective? Like, mm -hmm. more people see them, more people derive value from them, and we're conditioning ourselves to, to appreciate that way more. Yeah, so I guess that's it. It's like, in, if, we, if, if we were to come up with a consensus, right? Like, where do you go? Do you go and you evolve with the cultural norms? And if, because if you don't, whatever it is that you're doing is gonna end up becoming a cultural norm anyway. So it's like, where, yeah, where do you go? If there's a road. Go to being school. Holy fucking shit, you know that's gonna exist. You I'm know that's gonna exist. Over here, I know you guys know but it's funny. But you know what? You know what? It's the person who says 
where the hell did it come from? I was born in it, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to, like, slow the fuck down while these people speed up. And those are the people you should kind of, like, pay attention to because that's the time capsule. Beautiful. Listen, however you evolve when you're smiling, that's the goal, right? I don't like me. <laughs> Who said that? What have you, you mean? Yeah, I love Have you never really made a meme before? What? Yeah. What'd you say? I was asking if, they, if they've ever made a meme before. I, I think they're not funny, really. It's just like, yeah. true, like, like a running joke in society, and I try not to be part of it. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's an important part is that, like, memes are almost like this visual representation of an inside joke, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about, like, transcending geography and, and bridging a gap maybe between some similar feeling or suffering, like, a meme doesn't really present that open-endedness that a painting does, right? Because painting or artwork is this sort of thing that you can reflect on, right? Like, no matter your background, you can in some way interpret it in a way. Whereas, like, if you see a meme and you just don't get it, there's no value there. I get confused by that, though. When you say that, so, like, society gets it, and so you want to stay away from that, what do you mean by that? I just try to find my own stuff that's funny. Like, <laughs> like I walk and see, like, a pebble and this looks funny. Yeah. yeah stuff like that. It's way funnier than, like... But does that... Are you doing it... Are you doing it to be... A contradiction like you're doing it to go against like she was saying yeah is it in your nature if if you like taylor swift i don't like taylor swift if you did like taylor swift, <laughs> why, why don't you like taylor swift okay like so like uh, i think that i think that matters a bunch of people yeah, like something do you automatically not like it i'll listen to it but i probably won't like it so it forms some sort of this contradictory consistency could be a meme in itself no way yeah like you know what i'm saying you satire is the number one why do you think Sunday Live's been on for like so long? Satire is the number one. But that's what I always get confused about, like because I think there's such like a especially now, there's like such a want to wanna be so different and such a want to wanna like defy everything, but then everybody ends up defying everything and then I think it just becomes the new everything. You know what I mean? And I like I I don't know, I feel I feel it's so important to engage with culture and to engage and, and culture can be whatever. I think it's important to like be in the world that is happening right now. I don't think you need to like partake completely, but I think it's important to be involved in it. Yeah. Like I think like disappearing from that and like sitting in your own shit doesn't actually. Well, it's called, it's a LARP, right? A yeah. LARP is when you're pretending to take something seriously and you're poking fun at it, right? Or is it a bug stage? Labra? That's what you said? Larp. Larp. Not a Larp. L-A-R-P. It's like... Oh, almost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like, maybe it's, 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 it's intention, right? Like, um, like that clothing company, Bet Mon, right? They, I feel like, are very satire or you know like they, they make like a five thousand dollar jacket that says security right like i know a guy who actually that was his style he's really pissed that i want did that and i and i guess what i'm trying to hint at is that if, if everyone is sort of going around the things that are cool or accepted then you have like these subcultures that people find that no one else likes that get like sort of ruined you know or, or maybe that 
again, like it comes back. I would just say that yeah, you'd be disobedient against the law. Like to your point, I don't know you, but like to be against the grain to me is not like green or silly. It'd be like chaos and destruction in current order of systems doesn't make sense. I'm gonna do the exact opposite of everybody else and not fulfill, fulfill myself and fit society. Rejecting society and the cultural friends of society, to his point, personal advice, I think it's there's a little bit more being like, this is lame, I'm not doing it anymore. It might be of your youth, because I was your age too at some point, and it was just like, this is stupid, everybody's doing it. But at some point, there's got to be some level of connection to what reality is and what's going on in the world. And if you're not doing that, then I would say go full anarchy. That's like the mocking of the French, like, this, is, this is so stupid. But like, you know, at the same time, to actually be truly Americanized and free and actually owning yourself, I would say go full anarchy. I, I agree with this point. I think, I think rejection is necessary, but I don't think rejection needs to be like, the opposite of, like I don't think rejection means that you can't make something that other masses of people can enjoy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's like it's nuanced. It's yeah. not black and white, obviously, sure. but it's like, look how rejection creates opposition. It creates, um, it can either be love or hate. There's nothing in between. Mm. And you have to take both, I think, not only one side, because if you say something is hateful and therefore bad, for example, suffering is something, um, productive or maybe like um, well-making, um, benefiting is the word. And it can only be love or hate, but you cannot, I feel like, take the point of it being productive away from it. So like the meme, if I was doing a fashion show and I was presenting Doc Martens, I changed the laces, I totally changed the Doc Martens. And Stan, like that, yeah, like you and that's all you guys do. <laughs> and have a good time doing it. That's a good point. Having a good time. Having a good time. So I had a therapist that told me about these four personality types: the upholder, the questioner, the rebel, and the obliger. And something about like how different people can fall into these different categories, or even like you might have different levels of each of these kind of archetypes within you. Like, Holding a thing, obliging to a thing, questioning a thing, rebelling against the thing. Mm. Yeah. <coughs> I guess that kind of would dictate like how much you challenge your social norms, cultural norms. And imagine doing that all four times at once. <laughs> like there are people who do that. Yeah, exactly. Like that's crazy. Like that was so intense. You just said, and it's just like wait. how to use existing norms to my benefit. Mm -hmm. yeah. Survival. 
Americans or whatever, <laughs> um, kind of help kickstart that. What I hope for is like something like that again, because like, we're at a point where it just doesn't make like, sense anymore. And I don't know who's going to start it. Like, hopefully, when he owns real like, stuff, like Casey Hyde can actually like, get on uh, with that shit because it needs to happen. But what, what would you like to happen, though? I guess is what oh, I'm asking. A full, a full renaissance, a full oh, cultural. It didn't happen. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. I did not learn about him in school. Kerry James Marshall, I did not learn about him in school. And he's been, thank God, and like front and center. Kerry James Marshall. I was the first time around the pandemic and I experienced the whole Jordan Floyd crisis in that lens. But I don't. You can realize that the dollar they, isn't really okay. existence. I don't. I can't talk about money makes me uncomfortable. Okay, then don't. Sorry, like, I don't think don't, we don't engage. It's it's a, there, there's passivism, but I think there's an activism that needs to happen within our generation mm-hmm. within the next five years. Hopefully, that is that's what it's not this bullshit game that you can do allows you to experience all the revolution things. has to be like so accessible to the masses yes. and I think like through yes. art and culture art and culture is but that but, but what you just said was the drastic change people quitting their capitalist jobs and like that's what I'm saying that's the only way because I saw the marginal change and I saw I saw people protest in the streets I don't agree with that it's completely shifting it's shifting capitalism is shifting because people are seeing a perspective I mean Whole Foods is like the number one market like on a somewhere level on this whatever it's true like it's like people are stronger they understand what they got to do i mean agriculture is probably america's best commodity if they get their shit together and be farmers right that's why you know anyways (coughs) longevity like i'm all about my business for 21 you know i'm I'm longevity conservation I, I want to Trying to put my finger on it, but you, you, the whole foods metaphor, like really, yeah, you got like organic is important. But do you see how that happens, like in a slow and steady pace? Right, and change? Think, like, in the fifties and sixties, there was progressive through at least some sort of cultural trend of opening to Eastern practices. Back then, accumulated to something large and fast and mass in like a two-year span, and that was uh, you know the killing of Medgar Evers, the killing of Malcolm X. The succession of those events and also the self-awareness to be realizing that self-identity is not that important and to actually start a whole movement around music and the pop culture and the arts like she's saying where the in my opinion music and the arts are mostly lazy and embrace yeah, each other sure. so that but that's but that's my such a self-awakening but that's my whole point though is i don't really like i think that you're speaking at it through a context of lens of like looking back like i think it's so easy to be like damn music was just so much different back then damn history but history it's, it's always cyclical. repeats. It's it is cyclical. all cyclical. And so like through that, though, like, history is repeating itself every single day because you're pulling a reference from 1960 that you oh find interesting, God. and everybody in 1960 was doing I, it from the 40s. It, like, it well, just yeah, does I, that. The, ref, the reference thing, right, is a big part. Right. The postmodern. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think we are, like, in this echo chamber where, like, yeah, I've seen several music waves. Or what is it? What's the? 
I learned it in here, shoe game. Like, I, remember, I learned it in here. You know, like referencing Nirvana or grunge, and, and I think it's it's got to come, it's got to be way more than just the sort of aesthetic reference, right? It's it's more about, like, it comes down to attention, which is, a, and I see it today, it's like, there are artists, let's bring it back to art for a second, like on Instagram, who like make a killing and have way more of a following than some of the more prolific artists that we know of living today, right? Most of us have tools, whether we have creative inclination or not, to, to make something using AI. Um, and so what I'm getting at is like the going against the cultural norm in a sense, right? like having a show in a restaurant doesn't seem that exciting to any of us here because it's seen as alternative. Right? It's like, oh, you couldn't get into the, the real art world, so you try to do your little like pop-up show at the cafe. As much as I love the pop-up show in the cafe, that's how the world looks at it. So to, to your point, I'm just saying that like maybe art or maybe the artist, right, has to get fed up enough yep. with trying to enter into this cultural norm or this system mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. and to become like Linda was saying desperate enough to start seeking out other ways, maybe, and that's not in creating commodity, that's not in traditional painting, that's not, as much as you don't want to hear that, like, you know, and, and I do think that art tends to be in history the thing that sort of is leading these movements or these revolutions wow. into happening. So but it's like unspoken terms because the most amazing artists weren't like super recognized during their time, so they're like, you know, they're but part of the current. Fortunately for us, we have a tool now that exists where anyone really can I don't think you can. I don't think you can. You should not be able to understand the level of the people we understand through the medium that's shared because, you know, that's like almost insulting. That's almost insulting. I mean, like, it is. If you're, it if is. You're, but to, to be real, like, it's just how it's, it is. Well, okay, if I yeah. saw, actually, I saw an artist's paintings online first, and I was obsessed. I loved them so much. And then I saw them in person, and I was really sad. Like, I was yeah, really that's upset. real. Most that of the shit you probably sucks. see on the computer, that right? It's not so it's getting like, what it's giving in real life. It, hurt, it literally hurt me, and I really respect the person. Like, I, I you know, and I, you know, but I think it's that's kind a big of comment on, like, how the world, like how we derive value from the world today, right? Like most of my communications are spent through a phone or online or on Zoom, and so. But that's, but you know what, we're so busy, so it's actually better maybe because you're not gonna waste a bunch of time if you're like really not interested. But do you think that's helpful yeah. or hurtful? What? So what I was saying about the cultural flow thing is that wasn't an art cultural movement, that was a social political movement. And what I, what I think needs to happen is a combination of both, like by parents. That is what the 60s is. And then there were, you know, unfortunately discrimination murders along the way. But that's that's yeah. what and from my perspective, just being able to be a first responder for those people, there was hate. And love is the yeah. larger cultural generation. But like everything yes. I experienced was full on. I hear you, I hear you that the it's just, they seem very far apart culture or mainstream culture, news and the arts, right? Like think about like when Trump was president, right? Like a lot of people wouldn't dare making like Trump art because it would be seen as like politically effective. Like, you know what I mean? It would look like the Shepherd Fairy, like Obama, 
poster, which is like amazing and like huge. We all can close our eyes and probably imagine that, but like no one wanted to make the next or other version of that, right? So that's the thing that I always have a problem with is that either it's like too conceptual or too political and goes over people's heads, right? So you, uh, that has me thinking about like artists like Kanye West, artists like Taylor Swift, right? And I, I say artists in this in, in the same pedigree as like George Kondo and Cause. Like I just think that Kanye and Taylor Swift as artists have more influence and power than say George Kondo. Yeah, two dimensional. Well, they're also celebrities. And I think that matters a lot now. Is like people yeah, people care about them as people and their stories. Mm-hmm. Which I think, like, mainstream culture doesn't care that much about people who aren't performers. Like, they don't care about the stories of people who aren't performers quite as much. Or even repeating that story over and over. Like, I cringe. I think, like, performers, dancers, musicians, like, it's like, damn, you gotta keep singing that fucking song. Like, it's really bad for you. Like, an artist that paid up one time. One time. Yeah, but you can look at it like, Picasso, Jackson Pollock, like they had to right. crouch over and like splatter all that paint all the time. Like, <laughs> but it's no matter what, it was different. Yeah. But I just wanna, I just wanna like add on like Rosenquist is a really incredible artist who spoke in political terms, and you know Donald Trump is just like hilarious to look at. Like he's ridiculous, <laughs> and he just gets more ridiculous because like if you see him in person versus, I I, I hate out them all, but. But Rosenquist is a real, like, he's, the MoMA is huge, you know, like, Rosenquist is a really great, like, you made me think of Yeah, but I just don't think Rosenquist is moving the needle for, Well, no, because it was back then, and it was, like, World War II, and ba-ba-ba, so so it was, like, and then it's global symbolism, like, this goes into, like, the next topic that we were kind of, I think, going to, like, it was part of the selection. I was going to say world, because you were going to say celebrity. Yeah, okay. And, and also, like, just to piggyback off of when you were talking about, oh, they have to sing the same song over and over again. I think it's because people have a personal connection to that song, for instance, right? Or that work. Um, and, and they see themselves in the celebrity. The celebrity is not a person anymore, right? The celebrity is, we see ourselves in the celebrity. We see our own story reflected back at us. And that gives us a personal connection um, and it's a lot easier to see that with a celebrity because, I, and especially with music, because it feels so personal and so accessible, right? Whereas, like, for most people, they don't, we're not taught how to look at, for instance, a painting um, in the same way. We're not taught how to have that personal connection and grow with it. And, and I think that's why music and celebrities can create change and influencers can really create change is because we have a personal investment in it versus like if I go to a museum and I see a really amazing political piece of work that I don't feel is connected to my story it's just not going to hit the same way that's the personal investment is the importance like you guys are all talking about aisles and icons I'll be honest with you my grandma's like my icon like I want to follow my grandmother I want to follow my grandparents like it makes me like actually like turn a little bit more to like the fantasy of religion. So, and then like, like I see the Kardashians as like American royalty. I fucking love them. Like I, <laughs> I like, I like watch, started watching from the beginning during COVID. And I was like, wow, these people are so family oriented. I didn't have that, so I admire it. But, um, you know, but that's probably why I hang on to like, 
Let's have a show of hands, though, because I think you're on something good. Like, who, who here wants a cultural change? I Since we are talking about art, we should maybe include talking about judgment. So, because the quality of judgment determines um, for public, no, sorry, but not quality, but like judgment is necessary because art has to get judged by everybody. Everybody judges everything. I judge everybody in this room for my personal benefit, and the value is different every time. There is no equal value, obviously, because as soon as you amass people, you will have groups of different sizes. So judgment is just a mirror of how everything is getting judged in the big space with big people. Now, for the own person, you can still rely on your own judgment. I still rely on my own judgment for the smaller things, just like sitting in this room and feeling safe, for example. I use small judgments that make me feel good and safe and not threatened, for example. Judgment, does that touch on quality as well, or taste? The thing is, uh, the problem is that, for example, again, if you start to find examples for what the quality of the judgment is, for example, for an individual, you only need the trust in yourself to work freely with the judgment. For art, for example, you have to have different factors. Now, this is where it gets hairy, for example. We all respect, or it's, there's a higher chance we all respect the opinion of art critique because we use, obviously, he, he has created a scenario in which he, his judgment is more valuable than from the normal man. So it's very tricky because it's get like very, you have very individual situations in many occasions or yeah. I think there's another piece of judgment though as well and this is like the point that I think I'm trying to like in a roundabout way bring it back to is <clears throat> I think a lot of people make work today that they try to be like so drastically different and then if people don't resonate with it or connect with it they're, it's so easy to be like well, you don't get it like I'm in a different wave than you are but I think that like real change is like trying to like not necessarily make something for the masses but make something that you feel will connect with other people like you are a liar if you're saying that you're not making anything for like it to be affected by anything other than just yourself like I don't think that there's a way to actually do that and so I guess in a roundabout way I I think that the cultural differences can come through like small changes large groups of people all kind of like being themselves, being true to themselves, but not like rejecting what's happening, I guess. There's this quote that I like, it's something about like, it's not real unless it's real in the context of community. So mm. like, no matter how much you That's feel really and grow in your own little shell, you know, person, personal life, like it's not real until you actually, you know, step out with it. And that also applies to like, no matter how much you think you've healed until you like go back to your family or whatever it is, and then you can really test it out and mm. see how effective really is. If you're in a bubble, like, of course it's all good in the bubble. Mm -hmm. Bubbles are gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was, I've never read Siddhartha, but I, I read it this weekend, and there was something that he was saying at the end. Um, I'll have to put it in the group chat, but it was something like words are not things, um, and that thoughts are different than words. Um, and 
when I'm thinking about like the the PETA board, the society spectacle, right? It's it's mainly towards images and imagery, and so I feel like in an extent, like words are also part of the spectacle now because there are things like Twitter, right? But but I also think that like for this, for example, it seems very anti-spectacle, right? Like yeah, we were we archive it and it's put on a podcast, but I do think just because I'm I'm always trying to get to to I'm still trying to figure out like okay, well, what is that? What is that final thing that sets culture off into its next sort of revolution, right? And and like, is that a film? Is that music? Is that a movement? And for me, like the closest thing I can come up with is its words, right? It's communication. Um, that's as far as I've gotten with it. Uh, but yeah, I think that you know this topic is good because it it. Yeah, it, it just relates a lot to this group in general. Like what we are doing here um, is, I don't want to say going against the cultural norm, because again, I don't think that's like a smart thing to do. I think you want to like influence it, but you don't want to influence it too much because it becomes a thing where it's like, oh, it's about the environment, you know, that people look, look down on something that is actually good. You know, you don't want that. You don't want it. You don't want to like influence all your friends to like rock your favorite jersey, and then you don't like wearing the jersey anymore, mm -hmm. right? You want it to somehow respect the thing it is that you're. Like to be wrong. enough powerful, but not let it like the curse of success when it's like oh you hate it after you see everyone. That's what the super wealthy do is once they have so much accumulation of billionaires, they go into influence very subtly. Media comms, presentation, arts. So they'll buy and they'll make the tastemakers as well. Mm -hmm. So here's why that's it's a subtle. But the tastemakers are so fine. I believe that the what Lucien said about communication is very vital considering the generation we live in. When we look at in comparison to the nineteen fifties and sixties, we can see that we have something that they didn't, which is internet. And it's like now we have we're in such a time that it's so different to the others that it's it's incomparable in the sense that we can reach an audience in milliseconds in comparison to them that communication wasn't as easy as we may have thought, or as it was, or was it as easy as, as it was back then? When we look at today, we can put an out, uh, uh, a piece of art out into the media and then it can reach an audience of, let's say, depending on your fan base or whatever, people that like keep up with you, it can reach hundreds to thousands of people in a matter of time. So I think communication is the one way that there would be change. This also, I feel like, connects to what we were speaking about last week in terms of as soon as you put something out there, it's out for the public to um, perceive it as they want to. So I feel like it's it's a big connection in the sense that we, like, as an artist, you have to accept that once it's out there, it's not your work, really. It's, it's for the public to decide. You may have the interpretation that you do about it and the meaning behind it, but it's like, it's free game after you put it out there. I always consider it like when you put out an art piece, it's not yours anymore. It's like a birth, you know, like you had that baby with you for like nine months and now it's out in the world and it gets to do its own thing and have its own life. So I think that's a good point that you touched upon. And I don't think that communication always has to be words either. But I, I don't agree with it. I'm sorry. It's like I feel it to some extent, but then you have the baby, you make the movie. And then you choose if you sell it to like the wackest AMCs or you take it to a tour like midnight screenings every night. Like you ship 
the ship how you want people to see it. Like yeah. it's not that true. It's true to an extent. Of like, the way the way I understand that though is more so like every time I experience a piece of art, it's a piece of art to me as well in a different way. So my experience that is around possession of it. I so think like, yeah. That's yeah. kind of what I was. I think you still have. I think you. Yeah. It doesn't belong to the author anymore. Right. Yeah. Like it's not only your opinion. Yeah. Anymore. It's about how it, it's affecting other people. Yeah. Like I guess it's mm -hmm. not just yours anymore. That's but kind I, of yeah. It's not but I think your choice of who you put it in front of, yeah. I yeah. think, can give it more life. And where and how. where and how. No, and, I don't want everyone. I don't want everyone to see my movies. I really don't. I don't think it talks to everyone. I don't think. I don't. Yeah, and what would happen if everyone in the world watched your movie? You probably wouldn't have the, you know what I mean? Like, you you would, like, a, you know, I didn't mean that to be an insult. I meant that, I meant that like, but I think, no, but I think that you, like, open up a gateway that you don't really want. Like, you don't, that kind of audience invites criticism that maybe you aren't ready or don't want to hear, right? And so, like, I really respect that, like, and criticism like that isn't constructive, audience, right? Because yeah. right? yeah. I think if you're talking to your audience, right, that's constructive, like, delegation. I think that when we try to talk to the whole world yeah. and you have too many opinions, then it just kind of gets washed. And I think that that's your point. Um, when you talk about, like, the 1950s and 1960s movements, I think it was easier to, like, get an idea of a concept, run back to your little circle without like literally talking to any of the rest of the world and then build that from within. Now you can have a thought, you can share it, and then 100,000 people can dispute it, give up, and then people forget about it, and then we move on to the next thing. And that's why I think that it's more challenging. So if you're talking to your people, that's what I think is most important because then your people start to, what's, you know. What's the expression like falling on your sword? And, yeah, and, uh, I, I was just not hoping that the, the smaller group is larger. You right, right. Yeah, so. That's ideal. I mean, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But I think that the smaller group has to be like spoken to in a proper way. It's not just like a separate like, people that uh -huh. comes together. What's interesting about the internet is that when you put something on the internet, you don't have you, you're not able to control who yeah. sees it, who doesn't. I mean, right. there are obviously ways that you can do that. Um, I like the idea that, and so you're, what you were saying with words, like, yeah, you're right, like, and I was thinking about this the other day, like, especially with abstract painting, for example, right, like, can conjure up um, meditative states, right? I mean, figurative paint, and any yes. individual can bring yeah. up performance art. Um, I think it's, for me, it's very easy for things that are visual to get sucked in to the spectacle. Right, where words are a little bit more difficult, right, and maybe cut directly to a feeling in, in something more literal, whereas like visual representation or artwork has this sort of like open interpretation. That's why I double down on like I really do think it is words or communication that will be that sort of mm -hmm. last straw. Another very interesting instead, like we can put it in our audience, like in my audience, but I've been through a really interesting thing. I'm from Israel and um, I was in this thing called Face to Face and it's a boy from Gaza, from Palestine, and a boy from Israel that holds conversations and every time they, it's just the two of them, and, and they invite different um, sections of people like one time it's only arabs then it's like super religious people 
then it's like young people that just living in the city. And every time it's different, but they don't necessarily go to their immediate audience, which is me, <laughs> that wants to listen to the both sides and get it. They somehow got the opposite of the Palestinian boy. They somehow managed with the Israeli boy to get all the religious people to sit in a room like that. And then instead of like making it the, he just said, the Palestinian boy just said, like, hi, my name is, and I'm here to answer all your questions. Any question you have, I will not judge you on anything. And it was the most powerful thing I've ever experienced in that uh, context. Like, to just hear without judgment. Just ask, how does it feel to live there? What do you do in your daily life? Like, those questions. And, and for me, it was the most, like, amazing concept to get opposite, mm. to engage, to not be afraid of the other side. I think that forum feels um, similar to this in the way that like mm -hmm. people are all coming into it with openness. Because I think like if you just brought like the opposite crowd in there and were like, I'm going to talk about this, it would just ring on deaf ears. Mm -hmm. But I think like everybody coming in with like a level of openness and like, oh, I get to like say what I want to say and you're not going to judge me for it, okay, then I can engage. And I think that that feels similar to this room. I just want to, like, I know we're at time, so I just have a question that kind of wants to challenge that. Okay. My question is, like, what's so bad about the mainstream? Um, because I feel like like that's the one thing we judge in here. In what? You know? The mainstream? Yeah, the mainstream or, like, basics, right? Which I went to art school, too. I grew up hating, you know, all of these basic things. Yeah. And, like, lately I'm like, man... I like Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. I have since I was eight. What am I going to do about that? You know? Well, live it up. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think, I think like the level of open, I, I, I agree to your point in that this room does kind of challenge but, the mainstream. But I, I guess, like, that's also a bigger question. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah. like, right. let's talk about, like, what is bad with mainstream arts? From, so I work in business and technology, and I've done business with a lot of mainstream entities that are culture. And it's, the part that bothers me is they're not in favor of you as an artist. That's that Taylor Swift's awesome, right? But the people behind Taylor Swift are fucking careful. For sure. And then they perpetuate, they perpetuate their own ideas through yeah. her. Also, and that's the issue of the mainstream. It's the shallowness of yeah. But I but I will say that there is there is art artistry in it. Yes. Right, like completely. Some of my favorite movies are the most obscure, pretentious, and then. I'm watching, you know, Cheaper by the Dozen, right? Dr. Who, yeah. right? And, I, yeah. and there's artistry in that too, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's the thing. Like, there are directors like James Cameron or whatever who are making blockbuster hits, but like, if you give them a shoestring budget, they can easily make something. Is independent in the, you know. Steve Martin is the most fascinating man on earth. Yeah. So. And yeah, I also want to. Honestly, is a great wave that that I also want to caveat, it's also not just like the art that I like, but I've only worked on mainstream projects. Right. And like, it's very different from how I expected my career to be. Mm. But now I'm, so now I'm questioning that. Let's but I think it doesn't make it any less valid. And I think that that's your point is I think that mainstream, like there's this, I don't know if you guys know Max Martin, the songwriter who like basically crafted every major hit in like 2004 to 2012. Anyways, he perfected like a math of songwriting of like what was going to be a hit. 
And this guy just put out this video the other day talking about why everybody is so upset that like their songs are only lasting like five weeks and then nobody listens to them anymore. And he's like, y'all wanted to talk shit about the pop songs that lasted on the charts for 20 weeks. But it's like, there is a math to that. There is an artistry to that of like making something that can connect. You know how hard it is to write a damn good pop song? Trust me, as a songwriter, it's fucking impossible. Like seriously, to say something that a million people have said before and to say it like a little bit different so that a lot of people want to listen over and over, it's very hard to do. And I think that to your point, it's not less valid. Like the fact that you've only ever worked on mainstream stuff, I think it's still relevant because yeah. it's, it's what makes the machine history go. history of you know? something and that, if that's what you're going to do. I interned for Anastasia for three seasons and I was also volunteering at the door and I said to the door, hey, can I come, can you find me money? Because I made a choice. Like, you know, like you're going to give and donate and blood, sweat and tears or are you going to do something that really makes a difference? Awesome. And that was a little judgy for some time. All right, that's all we have for today. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. I think I wrote everything.